Good morning and welcome to service this morning. Uh, special, especially uh, glad to see the visitors here. I hope you can feel at home here. Um, like Ken mentioned, um, you know, Easter is going to be, uh, is coming up. Uh, next Sunday is Easter. So, um, for devotional this morning, I have chosen to to read um, in Matthew chapter 26, um, starting in, in verse um, 36. Um, it's the account, it was after the Last Supper, and um, Jesus took his disciples um, to the Mount of Olives and uh, to the garden there. And it was before, just before that um, Judas betrayed him. And, um, you know, just reading over that, there's a few things that stood out to me. And as we read, um, maybe we can just, you know, kind of, I know we can't, I can't imagine what Jesus went through, but there's some things there that kind of really stood out to me. So Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to the disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us go. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. This is far as I've chosen to read, but uh, as a little further on, that's when Judas came in and, and, and betrayed him with a kiss. And, um, and that's one thing that really stood out to me is that Jesus, knowing everything, he still ch- chose Judas to be one of his disciples, knowing that he was going to uh, betray him. And um, I'm sure we've all had experiences like that where people have let us down but it 
it hurts a lot more if it's someone that's close to you and they they let you down um, one of the one of the things that I noticed here is that Jesus prayed um, and you can tell that um, by by the things that he prayed um, it, it was he was he was in anguish. He, Luke, I think it was Luke, says that um, he was in agony, and um, and he was he was distressed. Um, he prayed earnestly, and and um, I think Luke says that he he sweat and this his sweat was as great drops of blood. Um, so we. I know sometimes we are, um, we wish we would know what's in the future, what, you know, what's going to happen, you know, but I'm not so sure that that's a, that would be a very good thing because here Jesus, um, he knew what was coming and I think that made it all the harder. It was, you know, he knew what and I, I don't know what all, I guess I don't, I don't understand everything, but with um, Jesus knowing what he had to go through, not only the physical suffering, but, but um, you know, he took the sin of the, the world upon himself, and I believe, you know, there had to be a, a, a maybe a separation, temporary separation from God because of the sin. But, I didn't, like I said, I don't understand it all. Um, and, you know, even, uh, and another thing that stood out was that, that I noticed was his, his close friends forsook him. I mean, in this account that I read, they were there with him, but um, but later on in his trial and and everything, they forsook him. And Peter, even though Peter had said that he would never, never forsake him, even if he had to die with him, um, but we know how that Peter denied him three times in that night. In you know, he was betrayed with a kiss from one of his own. And, um, you know, I think it was Luke. Luke says that an angel, an angel from heaven came and strengthened him. And it's, it's interesting to note how the different disciples brought out different, different things. Um, another thing that, you know, I, I kind of noticed was that when Jesus went away to pray and he came back to the disciples, he told them that, you know, you should be praying. And the interesting thing was that he said that you should be praying for yourself. Um, and so that they wouldn't, um, um, so they wouldn't be tempted, so they would be able to stand. Um, and I believe that Jesus was, 
you know, through all this and, and the other accounts that we read, we know that Jesus was tempted, uh, you know, in all points, just as we are, and I don't know, maybe even to a greater degree, more intense, I'm not sure. Um, but I think maybe there's there's some lessons that we can learn from this, and it, just just a couple that I thought was that, um, you know, looking at how the disciples, their, um, what they did when Jesus asked them to, um, you know, stay awake with him and, and pray, um, they were sleeping, and they fell asleep, and I can understand that, because, uh, anymore when I sit down I just I just want to fall asleep <laughs> um, so I think we you know if we have a friend that that stands by us and maybe we can be that friend to someone else to be sensitive when they're hurting and um, another thing maybe we should Maybe it sounds a little bit a bit selfish to pray for ourselves, but I think if we do it in the correct way, I think um, that's okay. I think it's needful so that to pray that we will be able to stand. Shall we? Can we stand for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being here this morning to worship you. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we can enjoy to be able to gather together in this way. God, we just pray that you would be with the service here today, the Sunday school, and the, and the message as well. Lord, we ask that you would give us open hearts to, to learn what you would have for us, and we ask that you would be with uh, one that brings the message today. Um, you might give him words to speak that we are in need of hearing. And Lord, we just thank you for the many blessings and we thank you for the um, sacrifice that was made so that we can have forgiveness of sins and that we can have eternal life. We just commit ourselves into your hand and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this hour. Thank you for your blessings, your faithfulness to us. Thank you for bringing us here this morning and gathering in your house. And we pray your blessing, Brother Alvin, as he preaches your word. May you give him boldness to preach on the authority of your word. Continue to anoint him with your spirit and also that we could accept your word through him. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Alvin Solsis is here. To those of you who made a connection, he's a nephew of Aaron and uh, Chad's uncle. Bless you, brother. Thank you. Well, I bring greetings to you in Christ's precious name and uh, also greetings from the Mine Road Congregation. And I trust you'll feel welcome to stop in and visit us sometime if you're in the area. I was uh, 
Thank you, Mel, for that brief introduction. I was thinking that we'll just take care of a, a little bit of an introduction here at the beginning and then get on with the message. Um, my brother Mel is sitting here in the front row next to Uncle Aaron and Susie. And uh, we count it a privilege to be with you this morning. And uh, I don't know if I want to blame Aaron and Susie or Susie for be me being here this morning. It would be uh, a blessing to me to, to sit and listen to somebody else preach. Maybe I should even credit Brother Mel for asking me if I would preach. And I'm willing to do that. Just a little further introduction. Um, Mel and I's father is a brother to Aaron. In other words, Aaron would be our father's younger brother. And then uh, we have a brother, Omar, and that's, of course, Chad's uh, connection to us. Chad would be uh, our nephew. So that makes uh, Johnny here in the front and Naomi our cousins. And we're pleased to be here this weekend. I'm thankful for the peace of God. And nobody else can take that peace from our hearts unless we forfeit it. So I'm thankful for that peace. And I was reminded of a verse in Psalm 91. That is a precious verse to me. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And when I read that verse and I consider what Almighty means, in the Hebrew the word is El Shaddai. And the definition of El Shaddai is the mighty breasted one, the one that nourishes, the one that supplies and satisfies. That's El Shaddai. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of El Shaddai, the one that nourishes and supplies and satisfies. So the question we could ask ourselves this morning is, are you experiencing that peace? Are you experiencing that nourishment? That supply of grace that satisfies? Because there's a lot of things in life that don't satisfy. And often we find ourselves chasing after those things that don't satisfy. But great peace have they which love thy law, or love the Lord. I'd like to maybe just change that question a little bit, and that will be our focus in the message today. Are you abiding in Christ? And is Christ in you? 
and what does that mean to abide in Christ? So if you want to turn with me to the text, you can turn to John 15. And we'll be focusing on one key word this morning in the message. And that's the word abiding. And I realize or recognize that abiding is not necessarily an everyday term, right? So in my search for a definition for abiding, I'm going to use this definition today. It's a union, communion relationship with Jesus Christ. So abiding in him is a union, communion relationship with Jesus Christ. It's being connected to God. And that's about as simply as I can get it, I think. It's a union, union, it's a union communion relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's connected to him. Now, I don't know, I was noticing that this one fan is not running. The other ones are. And it looks very much the same as the rest. Can somebody tell us why it might not be running? It hasn't been charged. Okay. <laughs> I, I question whether it's connected. Yeah. Now, the uh, janitor or whoever, he's going to help me out in a bit. So, sometimes our doctrine seems right. The separation is right. The association is right. But the connection is bad. We're just not connected. And thank you. Uh, are you the janitor or the usher? I'm not sure. For turning the fan on or giving it connection. Now, I'll just say this so that we're theologically correct. Uh, the connection that we first have with Jesus Christ, we call it many times the new birth. But that's not the end. It's only the beginning. It was Andrew Murray that said, many Christians have hardly realized what closeness of union, what intimacy of fellowship and what wondrous and oneness of life that we have been invited to. And my prayer this morning has been that this message would just whet our appetite for the life and the joy 
and the peace that we can experience when we abide in Him and He abides in us. So I'd like to read the text. And you can follow after John's, John 15, and I'll read 1 through 10. And notice how many times the word abide is used. And maybe in your minds you can replace it with the words communion, the union-communion relationship. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye, abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So, maybe just a few points before we move on to other scriptures. Verses 5 and 8, you'll notice that it's very clear that Jesus wants us to bear fruit. And that's accomplished only as we abide in him. Verse 4, we see that we can't bear fruit of ourselves. And verse 5 and 8, he doesn't just want us to bear fruit, he wants us to bear much fruit. So we see here, it's, it's rather clear that the Father, God the Father is the husbandman, Jesus Christ is the vine, and we are the branches. Each of us is a branch. The connection, the connection with Jesus Christ, it is what brings the life of Jesus into our hearts, into our life. And uh, maybe you should look this way, and I just want to illustrate with my hands that when we're connected, it's the life of Jesus comes into our branch, and then it's the branch that pushes out the fruit. Okay, and I'm not suggesting that the outside things don't matter, but the fruit is pushed from the inside out. 
So that's what I see this portion of scripture um, emphasizing, that there needs to be a connection and it's God's desire that we bear fruit and that's only when we're connected to him do we produce the life, the fruit. So a question that I want you to think about is where do we find the seed for new life? Is it in the root? Is it in the shoot? Or is it in the, somebody say it? In the fruit. The seeds for new life is in the fruit. No wonder Jesus is so interested in us bearing his fruit because it's the seed for more fruit, more life. 1 Corinthians 2.9 tells us that I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. God has beautiful things in store for those that are vitally, intimately connected to Jesus Christ out of love for him. Now there's a scripture, 1 Corinthians 2.9. I'm not going to tarry there, but I just read the verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9. But I noticed that in this scripture to the end of the chapter, when we are in love with Jesus Christ and connected with him, the, the beautiful things that he does. Verse 9 is an Old Testament quote that Paul was giving. But then notice uh, the next couple verses. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. The things that I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man. The Spirit wants to reveal those things to us, little by little. And someday, of course, it'll be in, in its fullness when we reach um, heaven. So I see Paul saying in verse 9 that the wisdom of God is a mystery. But when we're connected to him, his spirit reveals things to us. Verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. And verse 10 also says that for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So when we're really connected, we will get a taste of those wonderful things that I hath not seen nor ear heard. I challenge us to study the word and find those things. Verse 12, we see that these things are these mystery things in the Bible uh, we receive freely given to us of God. He's waiting for us to get into his word and connect with him and see the wonderful, beautiful things that God would like to show us. 
But then he, con he concludes in that chapter with verse 16. And I'll read verse 16 the way the Amplified Bible gives it. For who understands the purposes of the Lord so as to guide and instruct him and give him knowledge? But we have the mind of Christ and do hold the thoughts, feelings, and purposes of his heart to do the work of Christ and to follow Christ. In other words, we have the mind of Christ when we're connected. And we'll be able to bear fruit for his glory. I get excited about that, about being connected. Now I'd like to develop this message a little further by having us look at a scripture in 1 John 2. And I invite you to turn there with me. At the time of this writing, according to the dates in my Bible, uh, it was written after, after the death of Christ, um, about 90 years. And John would have been writing. So he would have been about 90 years old. He was the one who leaned on Jesus' breast at the supper. He was the disciple that Jesus loved. And for 60 years now, after Jesus resurrected and went back to heaven, for 60 years, this John was living by faith in the Spirit. I believe he was connected. And he writes these things at a time when the agnostics would have been saying, he's not knowable. You can't know God. You can't know his son. And so let's look at what he wrote. And as I read these first six verses, I want you to notice the knowing him, the in him, and the obeying him, and how they relate to each other. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. For he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. So you're probably thinking of several points here. The in him, hereby know we that we are in him. It's when we keep his word. And when I think of being connected in my daily devotions or daily Bible reading, I think of reading the word with the intent to obey what God points out to us in his, in his word. You know, we can sit, we can sit and I find it 
a problem sometimes where I just sit and think and think and think and your mind goes all different directions. But if you really want to connect with God and Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, read the Word and let it guide your thinking. Now, that was one thought I got from this scripture. The other one is in 1 John 2, verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Who's the he? Can somebody respond to that? We should walk even as he walked. Who's John talking about? Jesus. Yes. So John is saying that if you want to abide in Christ and Christ in you, you should walk like he walked, like Jesus walked. You could say we should abide in him like Jesus abided in his Father. And we just read John 15, did we not? And those were Jesus' words about abiding. So I'd like to give credit to Jesus for being um, the person qualified to have John even say this, that we should, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked because I believe Jesus experienced exactly that. Now, one of your questions or thoughts might be that, well, Jesus was divine. He was perfect. Surely it was easy for him to abide in, in his Father. For me, it's a different story. Part of that is true. But I'd like for us to, just for a few minutes now, consider that while Jesus walked on the earth, he was a man. Second John 1 John 1.7 For many deceivers are entered into this world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now, what is John telling us here? It's important that we see Jesus as coming in the flesh, like a man. I believe it means that when Jesus walked on this earth, he was 100% man like you and I are. Of course, we understand that he was also 100% divine, right? And after a bit, we'll get into things that, well, we can't quite wrap our mind around. But in Philippians 2, we read that Jesus emptied himself of his equality with the Father and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. In Philippians 2, if we were, had time, we'd turn there, we'd find five steps down that Jesus took not only to become a man, but 
like somebody said, a nobody, crucified on a tree as the scum of the earth. Okay? We understand that Jesus was 100% God, but I think sometimes it's too easy for us to just credit his walk of perfection to the fact that he was divine God. He was God, but let's not forget that he emptied himself. According to scripture, he emptied himself of that and he was the God-man in the flesh. His, he was divinity in humanity. Okay, so I'm just bringing this to our attention so that we don't just think, okay, but Jesus, he had fellowship with his Father, but he was divine, and it was easy for him. It's a different story for me. Paul says to Timothy that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the seed of Abraham, and I think he was referring to his humanity. And I noticed, I think it's in Matthew, uh, I stand to be corrected, whenever Jesus is referred to um, either the Son of Man or the Son of God, it's always the Son of Man except for two times. So I'm bringing that out just to help us when we look at how Jesus was one with his Father, that's what we're being challenged to do as well. Now, I talked about Jesus' humanity. It's only fair that we talk about his divinity just a bit. Let's consider Jesus in the garden when they came to arrest him. Matthew 26 says that one of the men pulled a sword as they came to arrest him, and Jesus said, put up your sword. Don't you know that I could pray to my Father and he would quickly give me more than 72,000 angels and I could be delivered? Yeah, that's the divinity part of Jesus. But as a volunteer, Jesus emptied himself to become a man in the flesh. So that's who he was. He was a man. He volunteered. And he decided he was not going to call 72,000 angels to rescue him. He knew that it was a man that sinned and it was a man that had to die. And he was willing to do that. The humanity part of him suffered greatly and made a choice, a decision, to not call 72,000 angels for his rescue. So, what I'd like to do now in just the remainder of the message here is, so how did Jesus abide in his Father? How did Jesus walk his walk of perfection on earth? And see if we can learn something about our walk with our Father. 
So if you want to, you can turn with me to an Old Testament scripture, a prophetic scripture, be Isaiah 50. And I'll jump in here and read verse 4, and then we'll look at a few verses connected to it. This Isaiah 50 is uh, like prophetic scripture concerning the suffering of the Lord's servant, which would be Jesus. Verse 4 says, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. I'll continue a bit. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. This is a prophecy of the Lord's servant, Jesus. It'd be interesting to hear your comments as to what you're, what you're seeing here about Jesus. Morning by morning, it says that the Father wakeneth him. And he would waken with his ear toward the Father. And he wasn't rebellious, neither turned away back. How is it with us? Do we wake up in the morning with our eyes on the needs around us and our ear tuned in to the Father? Like, what does he want me to do today? Where can I go to minister today? One time Jesus was, uh, he went 50 miles north, I believe it was, to Tyre and Sidon to minister to the Phoenician woman's uh, 12-year-old daughter. And it'd be interesting, um, in in the Sunday school class it was brought up of a Bible that somebody has, was it your Bible, that has everything in chronological order. My understanding of this was that he went the 50 miles healed that 12-year-old daughter and then returned to his, his place again. How did he know that, that, that the father wanted him to go up there and heal that 12-year-old? I believe he was connected. I believe he woke up in the morning as a human and said, Father, what do you want me to do today? Is that too much for us? Can we do that? Jesus, I believe, was a man like you and I. And verse 5 says that he never rebelled. Now that's not quite our experience. But it can certainly be something we can grow in. And then he was willing to give his back to the smiters 
and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. He never rebelled. And I like how in verse 4 he says that God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to them that are weary. The hurting and the weary need a word from God and we can be those instru- that instrument. So now we're called to abide in our Father like he abided in his Father. So let's just check this out a bit by turning to Mark 1 and see a little how Jesus' life was. Uh, Mark chapter 1, we we find where uh, Jesus was calling his disciples and he was telling them to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So Mark 1 verse 20, and straightway he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Verses 23 and 24, he brought deliverance to those that had demons a word to the weary, verse 29 to 31. I'd love to read this all, but I see the time is getting away from me. 29 through 31, they entered a house and they brought healing. And he's basically meeting needs everywhere he's going. And I think it's because of his union, communion, relationship with God the Father. So in verse 32, and all the city was gathered together, uh, pardon me, verse 32, and at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils, and all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases, cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. So I'm picturing a human that is getting tired because of all the activity. So now let's look more closely at verse 35. And in the morning, and I'm thinking that this was the next morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. I could see me after a day's work like that saying I'm going to sleep into tomorrow as long as I can. But Jesus was up early in the morning just like it prophesied to connect with his Father. So now for the last Um, I think it's the last two scriptures I want to turn to John 5 and let's look at Jesus' testimony John 5 
verse 30. Jesus said, I can of mine own self do nothing. And I want you to think about us as we're looking at Jesus' testimony. We know that we cannot either. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. That's Jesus' testimony. That's the human part of him. That's the Son. Looking to his Father and just admitting that of himself he can do nothing. And we just saw that Jesus always listened to the Father. That's abiding. That's the communion. That's the union-communion relationship, I believe. That's abiding in Christ. It was Jesus that said, My sheep hear my voice, and they will follow me. That's the same thing as union-communion relationship, I believe. Now let's look at John 6, verse 51. Here Jesus tells us very clearly that I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give him is Excuse me, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Here Jesus is saying that he himself is the living bread that came down from heaven. And if any man eats of the bread, he'll live forever. And we know that the bread that he gives is uh, his, his flesh, his, his body. He also further sp speaks of us drinking his blood and we know that he's not speaking of literal flesh and blood but he's speaking about the same thing that we have in John 15 an abiding Union, communion, relationship with Christ. That's eating and drinking of Him. So now verses 57 and 58, I believe, is this whole message in these two verses. John 6, 57. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. He that partakes in a union, communion relationship will live forever. And then verse 63, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And we believe he's speaking about his living word.
So just to wrap up here, you know, we don't have to look around much and we'll see things and hear things that quickly corrupt our thought life. But just as quickly, we can say, Lord Jesus, in a union-communion relationship, and say, Lord, just wash me in your blood. Forgive me. And just decide that I'm not going there. That unforgiving thought or that immoral thought in a union-communion relationship, we can just ask God to help us, cleanse us, and forgive us. That would kind of be my way of explaining what it means to live a holy life. Being a life-giver because of the Spirit of God within, because of a connection. Speaking truth, guiding people, blessing people because of the spirit within working itself out. Christ in me and I in him. And if I can just challenge us with, it's not just a half an hour in the morning, but it's living all day long, a union-communion relationship with Christ. God is not out there somewhere in some dramatic way waiting to commune with us by earthquake or fire or signs in the sky. Instead, he desires to talk with us in the quietness of our own heart through his Spirit. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear the Lord. I think I started out by saying I'm so thankful for the peace of God and nobody can take that peace from you unless you forfeit it. And we have an enemy that's working hard at robbing us of our peace. I invite you to kneel with me in prayer. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning for your presence in our lives. We thank you for that peace when we're in a union, communion relationship with you, that peace and joy and life that nothing else can bring or give. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you this morning for the truth of your word. We thank you how that your spirit guides us and helps us to live a holy life. We thank you again for this congregation, for each one here today, and our prayer is that there would be fruit coming out of our lives and that we would be a blessing to everyone that we meet and have contact with. Help us to be your hands and feet as we share the gospel of love with others. Father, again, we pray a special blessing on this congregation and we commit ourselves to you to live 
a faithful, holy life as we go from here. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.